welcome to This Week Explained. I'm Tiana, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kervin. Another week of global news means another episode with all the intelligence and insights that you crave. <laughs> yes. So let's, let's just get started. Kervin, what is on your radar this week? All right, we'll get to Russia-Ukraine, and then we will, I think, get to the one story that everyone wants to hear about, which is this week... Chinese President Xi and Ukrainian President Zelensky had a phone call. They had a conversation. So that was a pretty big one. Yeah. Then we will talk about what's going on in Africa. We'll get into what Russia's growing influence on the continent. We'll talk about South Africa, which kind of threw Putin a lifeline this week. And then talk about the update on the crisis that's going on in Sudan right now that is still ongoing. Uh, after that, we'll move into the Indo-Pacific to talk a U.S. and South Korean deal to dock nuclear subs in their port. And then I'm going to try to, without getting <laughs> anyone upset, <laughs> which is not going to happen. Yeah, someone will get upset. Someone's going to get upset, yeah. It's going to be my attempt at a peace deal since China put theirs out, and I've talked a lot of And you are just as important <laughs> as China. And people I would, should heed. I am advice. more important. <laughs> I think. No, I'm, that's not true. I don't think that. But yeah, that's true. You don't. I, I, I'm gonna. It, well, it won't be lighthearted, but we'll just try to. It, it's gonna be my opinion on what a peace deal should look like. But thank we'll you for prefacing with the fact that it's your opinion. Yeah. Some it, people don't get that, even though we state it a million times, and sometimes we get some messages where people are like. Acting like we're telling people how to do their jobs. Definitely not. No. No. Oh, anyways. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. <sighs> Let's get to it, okay? What's the big news coming out of the war in Ukraine? Well, now this is according to some analysts that, that are have been following the war as much as we have, and they have seen, and these are guys on the ground, Ukrainian forces are actually getting impressive results against the their counterparts, their Russian forces, sort of on the Russian-occupied eastern bank of the Dnipro River. This this is all a direct result of the planned counteroffensive, because we say that because some analysts believe that that counteroffensive is going to be directed towards Crimea as a way to reclaim that former Ukrainian city. So whether the counteroffensive from Ukraine is successful or not, officials still assess that Putin is he still remains unwilling to negotiate on a peace deal. Um, some believe if the war continues to drag on and the Russian economy continues to suffer, Putin's not going to negotiate a peace deal. He's just going to be forced to take more drastic steps to maintain control. And that's he's going to try to maintain control within the old, his own borders because of the election that's coming up. So how would this affect his re-election campaign? Well, I mean, that is an interesting question. So common sense would say that the more authoritarian Putin gets, you know, just like in the U.S., the louder the opposition is going to become. There's going to be lots of protests. But Russia is a different beast altogether. The population of Russia has a different worldview 
than a lot of Western countries. So it could actually make his reelection easier if he can succeed at sort of setting the narrative as to why these drastic control measures are necessary. This is even more true if, let's say, more suicide bombings or assassination attempts by either Ukraine or outside forces are successful. That's going to put security of the Russian state at the forefront of every citizen's mind, and then Putin would be seen as the only person that could possibly protect the people of Russia. I mean, that does make a lot of sense. And since we are talking about the possibilities of Putin coming to the negotiating table for peace, let's just jump right into the reports that Chinese President Xi spoke over the phone to Ukrainian President Zelensky. Do you have any details about that conversation? So Zelensky said, personally said that the call was long and meaningful. During the call, Xi called for negotiations between Russia and Ukraine. He also warned that there is no winner in a nuclear war, which is very true. Zelensky's positive assessment of the call actually, I think, suggests that Ukraine is willing to work with China to actually find a peaceful solution to the conflict. And what is your analysis of the situation? Well, now we discussed this for quite a bit last week. I'm going to stick to my analysis from then. If China succeeds in negotiating a consensus peace deal between Russia and Ukraine, I want to focus on that word consensus peace deal. That's going to be the biggest geopolitical shift in a very long time, maybe since world after World War II. It puts China as the leader in geopolitics, and then it allows them to make attempts at reframing the Taiwan issue without firing a single weapon. So China's trying to use the Ukraine crisis to its advantage. It's trying to strengthen its position in the world by playing the role of this sort of mediator between Russia and Ukraine. So Xi wants to weaken the U.S. and the West by dividing it over the Ukraine crisis. They're doing a pretty good job of it right now, and they want to do this while avoiding direct conflict, if possible. So how does China use this mediation to its advantage in order to reclaim Taiwan without a direct conflict? There's a couple of ways they can do it. They could use its economic and diplomatic power to pressure you know, Taiwan into unification without resorting to military force. It could also engage in dialogue with other countries that would be likely to intervene in a conflict over Taiwan. So that's especially countries like New Zealand, Australia, South, South Korea. Ultimately, China wants to use the Ukraine crisis to, to weaken the United States and then strengthen its own position in the world. As a direct result, it would make intervention against an aggressive China more difficult for the United States and its allies. So while a peace deal in Ukraine is a good thing, you don't think a peace deal brokered by China would necessarily be a good thing. It's not that. It's just I don't really believe a peace deal negotiated by Xi would be in the best interest of Ukraine. On the surface, it's going to look like a fair and balanced peace deal that kind of gives both countries some of the things they desire. But China's going to use economic pressure to force Zelensky to agree to things he may think are in Ukraine's best interest when they're not. And let's not kid ourselves. Every government around the world is corrupt in some form or fashion. Right. I'm talking the U.S., Canada. Think of we. You said every government. So I think yeah. that pretty much covers it. Thank you. <laughs> So just because just because Russia is the aggressor, it doesn't mean that Ukrainian leadership isn't corrupt or can't be bought by China. Right. China's going to use their economic influence to its own benefit, and they will probably use that to the benefit of Russia, honestly. That's a good distinction to make, I think. 
power corrupts almost everyone, and all governments are corrupt to some degree. <laughs> I mean, some more than others, obviously. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't mean the leadership or the government is evil, per se, just that this is how humans are on the most basic level. Now, I do want to get into what an honestly negotiated peace deal should look like later in the episode. So let's move to Russia's growing influence in Africa. We talk about this a lot. So what is the update there? Yeah, we do talk about it a lot. And it all centers on the fact that the Russian mercenary group, the Wagner Group, has been supplying Sudan's rapid support forces with missiles to aid their fight against the country's army. So we talked about RSF leader Mohammed Hamdan Daglo last week. Now, he has been a key beneficiary from Russia's involvement in Sudan and as the primary recipient of Moscow's weapons and training, he continues to fight that the Sudanese army. Russia's support for the RSF is actually going to be seen as a provocation by the United States and the West and all of its allies because of what's going on right now. And it could lead to even more tensions between Russia and the, and the West. So the conflict in Sudan, I would say, is a reminder of the instability that plagues a lot of parts of Africa. While that's not a direct result of what Russia is doing on the continent, Russia is worsening the situation. That's just a fact. And why is Sudan an important piece to Russia's Africa puzzle? To start, despite the continuous unrest in the country, this, this happens, you know, yearly. Sudan is located in a strategically important region. It's at the crossroads of Africa, the Middle East, and the Mediterranean. So that gives Russia access to key shipping lanes and markets. Sudan's also a resource-rich country, like a lot of other African nations. It has large reserves of oil, gas, gold, other minerals that you know countries need to create things. So sanctions on Russia has made African countries like Sudan very important to Russia's economy. Sudan's also a very important country for Russia's foreign policy. They're seeking to, Russia's seeking to strengthen its ties with multiple African countries in order to improve its own political influence in the region. And this is a direct counter to the American influence that is happening on the continent. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, since we are getting into the importance of Russia's influence on the continent, let's talk South Africa and what that country's government may be doing to support Russia. Well, let's start from the beginning as we always like to do. <laughs> First of all, South Africa has been a vocal critic of the U.S. and the West's response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. South Africa has refused to condemn the invasion. They instead called for a negotiated settlement in the conflict. South Africa has abstained from votes at the United Nations that would condemn Russia's actions. And now the country of South Africa is put in a no-win situation as it prepares to host the BRICS summit this August. So the country's a member of the International Criminal Court. We all know what the ICC did you know, a few weeks ago or a month ago. With that arrest warrant for Putin. Exactly. Yeah. So like you said, they issue that arrest warrant for Putin. If Putin attends the summit in person 
in South Africa, and he says that he might. South Africa is going to be legally obligated to arrest him. Surely he's aware of that, though. Oh, yeah. So, okay, has this happened before where an ICC arrest warrant has put a country in a bad situation? Great question, because oddly enough, it happened in South Africa in 2016. Oh, wow. That year, the country attempted to leave the ICC when former, and we'll talk, get back to talking about Sudan, former mm-hmm. Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir visited South Africa despite having an ICC arrest warrant against him. Authorities in South Africa refused to arrest al-Bashir, and South Africa's top court later ruled that they couldn't leave the ICC because it was unconstitutional. So, once again, we see history repeats itself. Do you have any insight into what South Africa will do if Putin does show up? Well, right now it's kind of unclear. South Africa's not really talking about it, but... Well, let, let's see, using what they've done in the past, the country could arrest him. That's not something that's happened in the past before, but yeah. that's going to damage the relationship they have with Russia. And it's an important... Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> not to mention their their relationship with China as well. South Africa could also ask Putin to attend the summit virtually. We all love those Zoom meetings. Yes. But I would think Putin would see that as a sign of weakness if he agreed to it. So he's not going to agree to that. Okay. I will say South Africa is going to have to decide whether to uphold its legal obligations or its political interests. And that's going to be a quite a difficult decision to make. No, it won't. I mean, they made the decision <laughs> before. They'll do it again. Yeah. I don't, th- I don't think it'll be difficult for them. I mean, morally, it seems like it would be, but they are obviously putting their interests first. Yeah, I just think this one's much more heightened than exactly. Than the that's why they're one. that's why they're not going to arrest him. That's yeah, exactly you, why they're not going to arrest him. You make a very good point, and you're you are absolutely right. I would <laughs> I'd put some money down on that. Yeah. So we're kind of all over the place in this episode. Can you get back to the Sudan discussion? Like yeah. last week, we briefly discussed the ongoing coup within that country. And we all learned this week that multiple nations, including the United States, executed missions to extract its diplomats and their family members from the embassy in Sudan. And those individuals included U.S. Marines performing security at the embassy. And then the United States also closed its embassy. Yep. What is lost in this are the thousands of Americans working outside of the State Department who are still stranded in that country. Do you know of any plans at all to extract those people or are they just being left on their own? So I want to start by saying that this highlights what we talk about so often on this podcast. Uh, we'll do it a bit on the newsletter as well. You always have to have an exit plan. This shows you cannot rely on your government to get you out of a crisis. Right. So can you predict these types of crises? I can tell you personally, and and you know this as well, my time Mm -hmm. in Burkina Faso, you can't always predict what's going to happen. But keeping track of what's going on from a geopolitical sense can help you better prepare. This coup in Sudan didn't just happen out of nowhere. There was constant discussion about what could happen and the implications. So if you have like a trustworthy protective intelligence support, you can either depart a crisis before it starts but most likely, it's there to have a, pa- a plan to protect yourself when a crisis does happen. Now, unfortunately, as of right now, two U.S. citizens have been killed in the ongoing crisis. 
And with the situation deteriorating at a quicker pace every single day, do you really believe having those plans in place would have saved the lives of the people caught in the middle of this? Yeah, I have no doubt in my mind. I'm not trying to promote what we do as a company because there's dozens of other companies and individual analysts who do the same thing and can can do it for you, maybe even better. But in places like Sudan, you definitely need a plan on how to keep yourself safe, but look at you know, look at what's going on in Paris. So not even just Sudan. You've got violent protests popping up sporadically every week in Paris. I will say right now, the U.S. has no intention to extract those people that are still in Sudan at this point. It, it could take weeks for them to get people there. I this is so going back to Paris, we talk about Sudan. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, you've got to have a way to get out of that. Kind of implying that you should have already had some sort of contingency in place, right. knowing that it's already a country that does have things happen. <laughs> exactly. But even right. in Paris, a relatively safe city that we have been to, that mm -hmm. we had fun in, uh, that could become very dangerous depending on where you are at a particular time. Well, what could people have been able to do if they had an intelligence report on Sudan before traveling? First, they had to have been briefed before they went in not there. And and some people do, but not every organization does this. Oh, it's a okay. lot of people doing nonprofit stuff. Oh, okay. And yeah. what they do is they rely on the State Department to give them the information and then tell them, and then we'll come get you. And we know that's a lie. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll say first that. Not, we all have to realize, I always say intelligence is not an exact science. So we have to realize there's no perfect plan, but that's why you have to have like a bunch of different contingencies in place. And that can go a long way in keeping you safe. Um, having an intelligence program as part of your travel is going to provide regular updates on the security situation in any country, no matter where you're going. Now, if you have what I would call a bespoke intelligence report, which is something personal just for you for what you're doing, that's going to hone in on the specific region that you may be going to, and it's going to provide insights on what's happening and what you may need to do to either stay safe or, you know, to get out of there. Now, for the sake of time, I don't want to harp on this too much. I'm not going to get into specific details, but anyone listening who hasn't read our blog on Lessons Learned Living Through a Coup, you can go over to there. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. And I do have a, a bunch of contingency plans in place and how to, you know, communicate and, and what to plan for in these sort of crises. Half the shameless plug. Yeah, I had to do it at the end there. <laughs> well, if we are saving time, let's move over to the Pacific and talk South Korea. This week, news of a nuclear agreement between the U.S. and South Korea came to light as a deterrence measure towards North Korean aggression. What is happening there and how is this going to affect tensions in the Indo-Pacific? So like you said, landmark agreement between the U.S. and South Korea we kind of hit on this a few weeks back that South Korea wanted nuclear weapons to protect itself as an attempt to protect from an aggressive action from North Korea. So the agreement includes the following provisions. So first, the United States will periodically deploy nuclear armed submarines to South Korea. That's a, a huge thing. The United States also will involve South Korea in its nuclear planning operations, but Within the plan, South Korea is not allowed to develop its own nuclear weapons. That's that's very important <laughs> if you're thinking on the broader scale of what that would have. If South Korea was allowed to develop its own nuclear weapons, there would be a conflict 
immediately in the Indo-Pacific. Now, that agreement does come as a result of months of negotiations, like we talked about, between the U.S. and South Korea. And those were driven by that growing concern about the North Korean nuclear threat. And I know you get you look at this and you're like, South Korea can't develop its own nuclear weapons, but North Korea can go do whatever it wants. Right. That's exactly what's running through my brain right now. Yeah, that's that's the difference between being, you know, following the rules and then being a wild card. And so we know who fits into those things. Yeah. Because uh, North Korea continues nuclear tests and is publicly developing intercontinental ballistic missiles that could actually reach the United States. So how is innocent little North Korea <laughs> taking this news? Who hasn't done anything wrong? Right. And they have not publicly commented just yet. But we can all expect anger and hostility from Kim Jong-un. That's what he's good at. North Korea has long opposed the deployment of U.S. nuclear weapons to South Korea, and it's likely to view the agreement as a provocation. That's going to be concerning. Now, the agreement could actually backfire for South Korea by leading North Korea to accelerate its nuclear program in an effort to deter the United States from using nuclear weapons against it. That's going to be a direct threat to South Korea. So no calming of tensions in that region. Nope. So let's wrap this up and get to your plan for peace in Eastern Europe by way of a deal between Ukraine and Russia. All right. Here we go. People are going to be pissed off. Let's start by caveating with the with the fact that I don't think either country is going to agree to my proposal right now. It's going to take a massive turn of events in the war to get both leaders even to the table. Right. But I always say I'm a solutions person. You you give a problem, I just try to have a solution sometimes to my own detriment. Yeah, it's super annoying. It can be. And I'm not I'm not always right. No one so, is, Steve. It's fine. Yeah. I do want to offer that me. I'm yeah. always right. Well, we and know that's that. also not no, that's also not true. So <laughs> I, I wanna offer in this, like I said, I'm not always right, but I think this is the most viable path to an agreement. Like I said many times before, in order to get to peace, one country will either have to successfully win the ground battle, and then that country's going to win. They get or, to, they get to send like send out all the stipulations. Definitely, yes. Yeah. And that's not what I'm doing here. I'm okay. doing from today, where I would see both countries are going to have to agree to the terms that they say are currently off the table, like Crimea. Crimea, Luhansk, and Donetsk, right? Exactly. Because my plan attempts to solve that that problem, the Crimea, Luhansk, and Donetsk problem. You just got right into the hard stuff, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let's have it then. Let's hear what your peace plan would be. And I, if, I, if you were being asked, what would you suggest? Which I'm not, but... I, I did want to do the heavy stuff up front because I think that the most important stuff you put up front. So number one, Russia is going to have to agree to withdraw forces from Ukraine. And that includes the recently annexed regions from this past September. Because number two, Russia is going to need to agree in my plan to return those annexed regions to Ukraine. Now, for, for the pro-Ukraine crowd, which Russia is the aggressor, and we're here to support Ukraine against an aggressive Russian military. But yeah. Ukraine will need to agree to make, first of all, no aggressive actions toward Russian locations to include Crimea. Right. 
because I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but I want to explain myself. In the peace plan, Crimea will be officially recognized as part of the Russian Federation. Well, you weren't kidding, were you? <laughs> yes. This, this plan already is kind of... And you can thank the entire globe for that, because when Russia invaded Crimea, everyone No one just... did anything. They just sat there and watched. Exactly. So right. don't blame me. Blame the I'm rest not. of the world. Not at all. I, I get now, it. And, I, do, and, I do. I I totally understand why you're saying that that needs to be agreed to, though. It makes yeah. sense. And and so then Ukraine cannot, in this uh, peace, peace agreement, Ukraine yeah. cannot attack Crimea. And at, at this point in the war, you know, both countries are going to need to capitulate. No one is winning in this war. We're, we're basically at a standstill. And contrary to what different media sites are saying, and I see both sides trying to, to promote one side as winning over the other. No one is winning this war at this right. mo- at this moment. Right. Now, there are victories for both sides in various battles. The war is at a standstill. So if we want to agree to peace, if people really do want peace, there's going to have to be compromise. OK, so both of the big off the table points are part of your top compromises. So what is the next point? So, again, I'm going to get some more hate from the Ukraine crowd, but in order to get both sides to agree, I would put a clause to prevent Ukraine from joining NATO for, I would say, at least 25 years. Oh, dear. So, and this is why. Point one, so my first my first one, Russia withdraws troops from Ukraine and gives the, and then they have to, you know, return those annexed. Russia cannot make an aggressive act towards Ukraine. So theoretically, that should protect Ukraine from further aggressions from Russia. So as an olive branch, taking Putin at his word, I know, tough to do because he's lied so many times. <laughs> his main concern is what? An aggressively, an increasingly aggressive NATO at Russia's doorstep. Right. So if, if we're going to agree that Russia can't be aggressive towards Ukraine anymore, Ukraine's going to need to agree to stay out of NATO, which would be the one the thing that protects them. But could Belarus as a proxy invade Ukraine at the behest of Putin? No. Well see now you're poking holes, Tiana. And that's a great observation. <laughs> and no plan is perfect. But this is a peace plan between Russia and Ukraine. So unless Belarus gets involved publicly right now, you, we can't make any stipulations about Belarus. I'm gonna say unfortunately we can't solve all the world's problems at once. What no way. Right. Okay, so is this a five-point plan, or do you have more than that? I'm also putting a nuclear clause into the agreement for Russia. I know they're not going to agree to dismantle their nuclear program. I mean, they could be losing this war outright, and they could lose Crimea. They are not dismantling their nuclear program. Nuclear weapons are more important to Putin than Crimea. But my nuclear clause would be to reestablish the New START Treaty, to limit the future use of nuclear weapons across the globe. Well, do you have anything else in your peace plan? All right, those are the main points. And of course, like I said, it doesn't fix everything. But I want to go over like some of the benefits for following the peace plan, because I think that's important, and also the repercussions for breaking the deal. <clears throat> okay, well, let's start with the repercussions, because that's more interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. Let's say Russia breaks their end of the deal. So what safeguards are in place to prevent Russia from aggressive acts in Ukraine again? 
All right. So Russia breaks their end of the deal. They go back into Ukraine and they try to to, to re-annex those places. Ukraine's immediately fast-tracked to NATO. Yeah. So now countries will still have to approve. You know, they're going to have to vote to approve. But if Putin is genuine, that his concern is that Ukraine is going to become a NATO country, then this would be a proper deterrent to any future aggressive actions by Putin. Okay, so what would happen if Ukraine decided to go against the peace deal and attack Crimea or attempt to join NATO? Well, then the peace deal and the ceasefire is going to be voided and Russia would then be allowed to retaliate, which they would at that point. Right. And that's honest. That's just the fair way to do it. You have to be fair in this. I want to reiterate, I know Russia was the aggressor, but at this point, with no clear victory, the peace deal has to be fair for all sides. So what are the... What are some of the benefits that both countries would receive for agreeing to this peace deal? Well, I think the 25-year NATO resolution benefits Russia, so they won't have NATO at their doorstep, which they said they're concerned about. He meaning Putin. Right. <laughs> Hopefully yes. he'll be dead by then, 25 years from now. And that's, and that's sort of my thought on the 25-year uh, stipulation. Okay. New leadership comes in, okay. and maybe we can have that discussion again. I right. also have a stipulation that both countries prepare, I mean, that both countries pay to repair and replace all damaged civilian sites. Yeah. You know, Russia's going to bear the majority of this responsibility, yes, but Ukraine indeed. has attacked physical sites in Russia, and so in fairness, they're going to need to pay to repair those. Well, for the sake of time, and I know you probably have a ton of points to share about your hypothetical peace deal, but I just wanted to ask one more question. How does your plan differ from what China proposed? So I believe, and you could push back if you think otherwise. Oh, I will, buddy. I know. That's why I have you on here, because you're there to push back on, on what I'm saying, because sometimes I talk crazy. But I do think this is this is a good plan, and it's different, because the plan that China presented is just too general. It does not provide any specific steps or measures that needs to be taken to achieve peace. For example... The plan calls for what they said, respecting the sovereignty of all countries. Great. Including Taiwan? Oh, hold on. Taiwan is part of China, right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> not right now. It's not. Exactly. So. exactly. And, and so what does that mean? You know, what does that mean yeah, in practice? Yeah, that's right? super vague. Super vague. Yeah. My plan gives the exact location. It, out, it outlines exactly which countries need to do what. Yep. And okay. and. So my plan in full written form, if I could ever type this up completely, identifies what is considered sovereign. And it also names, like I said, specific locations. So not a lot of ambiguity. Also, the China plan is heavily skewed in favor of Russia because they're allies. I still have the opinion that a peace deal at this point needs to be balanced. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, Russia was the aggressor. I know that they're going to need to agree to some repercussions for that aggression. I do think Russia needs to be held accountable for doing that. No one is winning this war, though. So this is just a baseline peace deal from this guy, my my peace deal, that doesn't know anything about policy. But honestly, I, I really want to see something agreed to so we don't have people suffering due to the decisions by these couple of people in power who are ruining the rest of the world. Right. Well, I think... A lot can get misconstrued through audio, so it is probably a good idea to write down the full plan and maybe push it out in the newsletter or something. We could try. That's going to take some time. 
I don't know. I have a feeling you already started it, to be honest. <laughs> As I normally do. And then present it to you for editing. Well, yeah. Once you get something in your head, like our entire family is like this, everyone in our house. Once we get something in our heads, like we want to execute it immediately. We want to implement it immediately. And that's just how we do. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've seen all of our impulsive, you've seen lots of our impulsive decisions backfire, but you know, it's fun getting there. <laughs> yeah. Be consistent. Yeah. So do you have anything else that you would like to discuss this week? Well, no, usually we're out of time, but I do want to say one thing because I do believe that the Screen Echo podcast is coming out pretty soon, putting right. the final touches on that. Right. So I guess you're... super <laughs> awkward in it, but <laughs> no, you were not. I did my best. I did my best. A lot of great conversation with Tiana. She breaks the film down just in in a way that is incredible. And it's uh, obvious I am a mom. That's <laughs> yeah. all. I'm, that's that's about it. That's what that's the insight I brought to that. I'm like he was such a jerk. Yep. Yelling and, at people. I'll, I'm not going to give it. I'm not going to give it away anymore. But yeah, that. It. That should be coming out pretty soon, and and you'll see it on our social media, and we'll put it, you know, we'll discuss it as soon as it's out, we'll discuss it on the next podcast, but thank you, Josh and Jacob, for doing that, and after I said all that, yes, we are out of time this week. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Well, thank you for listening to our humble little independent podcast. We hope that you found it informative and engaging. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please let us know. Because we're we're here 24 hours a day to serve you. Just Okay, that's not, that's not true. <laughs> 20 hours a day. I got to get some sleep. Yeah. So if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, follow us on Instagram at Oakland Analytics. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.